And this evening we are looking at session number seven in our series of studies on the prayers of Paul. And this will be our last session in this series. And we are doing from the book of Philemon. It is the shortest book from Paul. Maybe in our Bibles it will just be a page or even less than a page. Now, what is the reason for Paul to write this letter to Philemon? And from that understanding, we would also be able to you know, find out how we can use this prayer that Paul prays for Philemon in our own prayers for individuals who are going through some situations in life. So let's look at what is the reason for this prayer as well as the letter. Now, how do you pray for a friend who has been wronged and specifically wronged by a problem person who has come back into their life? How do you pray for that? Here was Onesimus who has wronged Philemon. Now he has run away from him. Now he has come to know the Lord. Philemon is aware of that because of the relationship that you know, uh, Philemon and uh, Paul share. Now, what are the thoughts that are going on through Philemon's mind? And what can you know, Paul pray for? Okay. Now, do you have friends who have problem people in their lives? And do you ever struggle to know how to pray for them? This evening, we would be learning exactly this. How did Paul face this issue and what was his prayer? Now Philemon was a well-to-do believer in Christ, okay, uh, who opened up his own home you know, to, for the church to meet. He had a slave by the name of Onesimus you know, and uh, by all indications Philemon has treated Onesimus well. It is not that uh, Philemon has armed him, so he ran away. No, you know, by all you know, understanding of Philemon from this you know, passage, we would know that you know, he was a good guy. He was not a harsh guy. He was a good guy. He was a loving guy. But something has happened that you know, Onesimus has stolen some things from his you know, house and run away from him. But in God's providence, this runaway slave ends up in the city of Rome. So maybe he thought he will go see the world, and now he was a slave, now he wants to be a free person, he thought he can enjoy the world. So he's landed up in Rome, and somehow Onesimus and Paul meet up. Now whether he did some more crime in Rome, so he was pulled up and put up in the same prison, or whether you know, he just happened to come along there, or whether he has come to know Christ somehow through all these situations that he went through, and then he comes in search for Paul, knowing that he is also in Rome, and then they establish. We really do not know all the details. But we do understand that Paul is the one who seems to have introduced him to Jesus, because he talks about it in this passage. So here is Onesimus, and now when he, Paul is writing his letter, he is no longer just a runaway slave, he is actually a believer in Christ. Okay? And he's also been a source of encouragement to Paul. Okay? So now, after having spent time with Onesimus, and Onesimus has, uh, if you were to say, grown in his walk with God, Paul obviously has also told him now, hey, look here, you have taken the first step, the second step is also to go back to your master. And as a result, you know, he says, okay, Paul now decides to send him back. But not just send him back empty-handed, you know, he says, I will write this letter, you know, to your master, to my friend, Philemon, so that, you know, things will be patched up. Now, you must remember that Philemon had a dilemma on his hands. First century Roman law permitted slave owners to execute a rebellious slave. In fact, the owners were encouraged to do so. And the rule said if a slave ran away, at best he was branded with a red-hot iron on his forehead with a letter F standing for fugit uh, no, fugitivus 
which means run away. At worst, he was crucified. So a person who has run away, there was no option. Either he was killed or he was branded. But now, Paul is saying, Onesimus, I want you to go back to Philemon. Now, Philemon has, Philemon has this dilemma. He is a Christian. Now, what should he do with Onesimus? What should he do in this situation? If he forgave him, then what will the other masters and slaves think? And if he punished him, how would it affect his testimony? Not just you know, with Onesimus, but you know, with the rest of the church as well. So, this was the purpose of this letter, to show Philemon how to handle this situation in a way that would honor Christ. Okay, so Paul you know, did something you know, for this situation, advising Philemon how to handle it, and he starts off by saying, I'm praying for you, you know, I'm praying for you. So Paul did you know, this important task, you know, to pray for Philemon. Paul did not say, look, I'm not praying, you know, he didn't mention anything about that. He only said, here is you know, Onesimus now, he is a good guy, you have to accept him. No, no, it was not an, a high-handed attitude from Paul. Paul is starting off, you know, this whole letter by emphasizing that I am praying for you, Philemon, that God will give you wisdom on how to handle this situation now that Onesimus is a fellow brother. It was Dr. Lewis who mentioned that winning men is more a work of pleading for souls than a service of pleading with them. Let me say that again. Winning men is more a work of pleading for souls than a service of pleading with them. So Paul was saying, look, it's not a question of strategy. It's not a question of steps that you need to take. It's a question of praying. And it is God who changes the hearts of people. It was Hudson Taylor who put it this way, where he said, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Secondly, where was this you know, letter written? Where was this prayer it was, was written? The book of Philemon is written by Paul as he is on house arrest in Rome, waiting for a trial. Okay, so in this situation, he's awaiting trial and the house arrest. You know, Onesimus meets up with him. You know, they've established a bond. And Philemon, he gets news from Philemon of how things are going on. And as a result, he's also refreshed. You know? So even though he is under house arrest, there's a time of refreshing for Paul when he sees what God is doing. And when he sees what God is doing, he's praying to God to say, hey, the best thing would be that this connection would also take place. Now, I'm sure that would have brought joy to Paul's heart. That would have brought joy to Philemon's heart, that would have brought joy to Onesimus' heart, and that would have definitely brought joy to the heart of God. But how did all these connections come together? It started because Paul prayed and asked for some, these things. And that's what we need to do. Maybe there are broken relationships that, that need to be mended. You know? We may sit and break our heads on how to do it. Start with prayer. Start with prayer. And start specifically not with a problem at hand, start specifically thanking God for that individual. And that's what we will learn also this evening. Thirdly, who was the person who carried the letter? You know, if you notice in those days, it's not a question of write the letter, send it by post. You know, there were individuals who carried that letter. So Onesimus is the one who has been assigned to carry this letter back to Philemon. <laughs> Now, put yourself in Onesimus' shoes. Paul has written this letter and says, hey, go and give it to your master. How would Onesimus feel? And Philemon, on the other hand, is sitting down on the other side, and Paul, you know, they're getting news, maybe no other communication. This guy's run away, he's wandering. And then suddenly Onesimus lands up on his doorstep and then says, Paul has given this letter for you. What would be the feelings that would have been there? Now, when you're thinking about this whole issue of slavery, 
there are some people who would say, look at the Bible is you know, not in a sort of condemning you know, slavery. It seems to be condoning it to say, hey, it's okay if you have slaves. You know. But remember, the scripture is not just saying it is okay if you have slaves. The scripture actually is going much beyond that, you know, of even condemning slavery, to go to a point in which you say, accept your slave as your fellow brother in Christ. <laughs> That is much, much beyond, isn't it? So we need to be careful with you know, people who criticize Paul and, you know, and say, oh, look, even though he wrote so many letters, he never condemned you know, slavery. No, no, you know, he went beyond that portion to say, look here, you know, how should masters treat their slaves? How should slaves treat their masters? And especially in this particular letter, uh, now we also find this important truth where he says, hey, Treat them as one among us, one part of the family. And that is definitely a new idea or a strange idea or a totally opposite idea from the culture that they were living in. And living that life of a type of a lifestyle which was different would definitely make an impact rather than saying down with slavery. So this is the prayer that he prays in verses 4 to 7. It says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So how do you pray for a friend? How do you pray for a friend? You know? How can you pray for others you know, whom you know, maybe they're going through broken relationships, problems that they are having. Maybe you have friends with whom you are friends, you know, but something happened. How can you pray for them? So in these verses, we discover that a God-honoring prayer should include three elements three elements. In any of our prayers, this should be our focus. The first one, prayer should include the expression of thanks. The expression of thanks. And if you notice in all the prayers that we have learned, studied so far, he always includes this thanksgiving or starts with thanksgiving. So as soon as he thinks about Philemon, there's only thanksgiving in his heart. You know? There's only looking back on another who Philemon is and his love for God. And even though he is in Rome, you know, he's continuing to hear good reports. You know, he doesn't say, I've heard about it. You know, he's speaking about, I hear of your love. It's a present tense over there. So he's thanking God you know, that Philemon is doing well in his walk with God. Now, if you are Philemon, and you have found out or you are about to find out that your runaway slave Onesimus has been with Paul. Now you might be wondering what Onesimus has been telling Paul about you. Now this is also problems that happen, isn't it? You know, somebody has broken up in their relationships. You know, now, you know, the one who is the, the master, the one who is the main person, he's your friend. Now you are wondering, this guy who has broken up, you know, who has now become friends with, now with you, what is this guy going to talk about me? Is he going to gossip? Is he going to say something negative? You know, those are the thoughts you know, that would go through the mind. Okay? You know, has he been telling Paul all sorts of lies about your treatment of him to justify his having run off? Okay? But from this passage, you know, we understand and see that Onesimus has not told Paul anything that would cause him to think bad about Philemon. So that's why he starts off by saying, you know, I've had good reports, you know. And as soon as he reads this opening sentence itself, you know, I'm sure Philemon's you know, heart would have been at rest. So Paul appreciated Philemon, okay. First of all, he told God about his appreciation in prayer and then told Philemon in his letter the same thing. So this is an important way to pray, you know. When you are praying, you know, you start with appreciation of the individual to God. 
and then also you tell them about it okay and that would enable you whatever issues you have you know to get it sorted out or it falls into place because when you're thinking the positive about that individual then you will find that the negative you know even if it is there would definitely grow more dimmer so Paul writing off here, it says, I'm making mention of you in my prayer. I'm making mention of you constantly, always in my prayer. Now, our prayer life should be such that we make mention you know, of people. I'm sure you know, Paul had so many people to pray for, but he says constantly for each one of them you know, that I am making mention of you in my prayers. Now, remember... Our prayers don't inform God about anything. God knows everything, isn't it? You know? Our prayers only remind ourselves. So when we start off by giving thanks to God for individuals, instead of praying for the need or the problem, you know, what happens is we are focusing our minds, reminding ourselves about the good of that individual, about what God is doing in that person's life. Now, remember, this is not like uh, uh, sugar-coating it. No, this is a very genuine and authentic you know, a phrase that he mentions about Philemon because he says your love and faith you know, is definitely appreciated. Okay, So he's grateful for this person who's a source of great joy and comfort and refreshment, as he mentions in verse 7. But also, at the same time, it is also a marvelous example of tact and wisdom as he sets the pace you know, for the request that is going to come later to or for Philemon. So Paul wants to say the right thing, but to do so in the right way. And beginning with prayer is seldom a foolish or an unwise strategy. Beginning with thanksgiving is seldom a foolish or an unwise strategy because it sets your mind at pace. Now, this is an important truth because when we are praying for needs of people or when we are praying for conflicts or when we are praying for individuals who seem to be having issues, oftentimes what our minds are focusing on is only the issues. But Paul teaches us you know, through his prayer here, hey, focus on what God is doing and that will change the situation. The story is told of a New Testament scholar, A.T. Robertson, who deeply offended a Tennessee mountain man one day in class. Now, Robertson indeed had a reputation for being brutal and rigorous with his students. And after class, this mountain man, who was a mountain of a man himself, huge guy, went to Robertson's office and told the great scholar that he was there to whip him for embarrassing him in class. <laughs> Think for a moment. He has the student, huge guy, going to the professor's cabin and saying, look here, you embarrassed me. I'm here to make things even. So Robertson said he understood, but had one request before this important event took place. Might they pray first before the whipping commenced? Now a student agreed, and so they got on their knees, and Robertson began to pray and pray, and pray. It is said he prayed for an hour. Eventually, the anger of the student withered away. Now, Robertson apologized, of course, and agreed not to embarrass him again and spared him a whipping. Now, this is an important lesson. Prayer should often and always precede important and difficult decisions. Robertson understood this. Paul understood this, and I and that is something that we must also understand. Now, what was it that Paul heard that thrilled him about his friend and produced thanksgiving to God? Two things. Number one, Paul thanked God because his friend Philemon exhibited faith, and specifically faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus. He says he always thanks God for Philemon. Each and every time he goes to God in prayer, you know, he calls him his you know, friend and co-worker. He speaks about how he's been a blessing to everybody. And then specifically here he says, I hear of your love and of the faith. You know, he says, I hear 
of your faith. Okay, we, when you speak about love, we say, okay, you know, love is action. But when you're speaking about, uh, hear about your faith, you know, what does it mean that he has not kept his faith to himself? It has been manifested you know, to people around. He has shown what he believes by his actions outside. And that's an important thing. How did he do this? First of all, just you know, in, in, in opening his home. He was a rich guy. He could have said, all that I have is mine. But he realized now that he belongs to God, and it belongs to, and it belongs to God, and as a result, all that he has is open for the needs of the people. So he opened up his home. And that is how his faith was exhibited. Now we must ask ourselves, you know, all that God blesses us with, you know, do we say this is mine? Or do we exhibit our faith by saying, Lord, you have blessed me. How can I bless others? You have blessed me for a reason. What can I do to bless others with all that you have given to me? Now, that's a total uh, in a sort of upside-down thinking, isn't it? The world that we live in, we are always thinking about more, more, more for me. But if we have faith in God and recognize it is God who has given it to you, your understanding is this doesn't belong to me. I need to be a good steward of what God has given to me. So you're looking for ways and means by which you can bless others with what God has given you. <laughs> Secondly, he thanks God because his friend exhibited love. He says, I hear about your love for all the saints. You know, Philemon was not living a self-focused life. Rather, he was pouring himself out for the good of others, particularly for the saints, the people of God. And not just some of them, he says, for all the saints, for all the saints. And in this particular short letter, okay, there is at least uh, 24 practical manifestations of love. This is what Tana, a person has found out. Tana, he has written an article entitled Love is Sina, and he has found out 24 practical manifestations. Let me just read this to you so that you understand what Tana, God expects of us. If we say we have faith in God, if we say God expects us to love one another, what does love mean in practical terms? Love is respectful. In verse 1, he speaks about Timothy, our brother. Philemon, our dear friend or beloved. Love is respectful. Love is humble. You know? He calls our keepers you know, as a fellow soldier. He calls Mark and Demas and Luke as co-workers. You know? Paul, big guy, you know, but he calls them all co-workers, fellow soldiers. Love is humble. Love is appreciative. He says, I always thank my God. Love is constant. He says, I mention you always in my prayer. Love is also responsive. He says, I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. We love God. We love others as well. Love is benevolent, knowing every good thing which is in us. Love is willing to be giving to others. Seventhly, love is fulfilling. He says, I have great joy and encouragement from your love. You know? The love that Philemon had was definitely fulfilling for the people in the church and also for Paul himself. He says, I have great joy and encouragement. Eighthly, love is reciprocal. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. You know, mutual is part of the family. You know. Love is gentle. You know. He writes in verse 8 and 9, I have great boldness in Christ. I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. He says, I'm the leader. I could command, but I'm gentle with you. Love is in a gentle. He says, on the basis of love, I'm appealing to you. Love is exhortive. He says, I appeal to you in verse 10 for my son Onesimus. Love is evangelistic. Where he says, I fathered him while I was in chains, about speaking about Onesimus. Love is perceptive. He says, he, that is Onesimus, was useless. Now he is useful, both to you and me. Love is able to see through into the future what a person can become, what a person has become. Love is tender. 
He says, I'm sending him back to you as a part of myself. Love is tender. Love is honest. He says, I wanted to keep him to myself. You know? He says, he's a good guy. I wanted to enjoy him here. But he says, no, you know, I want him to go back. You know? Because that's the right thing to do. Love is honest. Love is righteous. He says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent. So he's, he could have, by the leader, he could have said, no, this guy belongs to me. He says, no, the right thing to do is to send him back because he actually belongs to you because you are the master. Love is righteous. Love is tactful. In verse 15, he says, for perhaps he was separated for you, from you for a brief time. He didn't say, look, he stole and ran away. He's tactful. He says he was separated from you, okay, for a brief time. He sees God's plan, if you were to say, in that whole thing. 17, love is hopeful, hopeful. He says that you might get him back permanently as a dearly loved brother, you know, a slave who would be uh, a willing slave, okay. That is his hope, that Onesimus has changed, you know, and the love that has been shown would change him, hopeful. Love is gracious, you know. He says, if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. Okay. Love is partnership. Love is generous. If he has wronged you, owes you anything, charge that to my account. Okay. Love is generous. Love is humorous. He says, I will repay, not to mention you owe me even your own self. Okay. Love is uplifting and confident of your obedience. Love is expectant, knowing that you will do even more than I say. That's what love is. Love is hospitable, you know, prepare a guest room. And he says, I'm planning to come, you know, once I'm released. Love is supportive, but I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. So if you look at this short you know, letter that he has written, there are so many aspects, you know, of the love for one another. And that's the theme that he's writing in this letter and also speaking to Philemon to say, okay, I see in you your faith in, in, in the Lord and your love for the saints. And I'm asking you that this love would enable you to take back Onesimus as a very dear brother rather than just a slave who has run away. Now, why did Paul make it a point to thank God when he saw real demonstrations of faith and love. Two reasons. Number one, he did so because God is the one who receives honor from this. God is the one who receives honor from this. Anybody can say they believe in God when their health is good. But when you are ill and you still affirm that you know that God is in control and is using the illness for good, that kind of faith brings honor to God. And when you see that kind of faith, it definitely causes to give God the honor and glory. Secondly, he did so because God deserves the credit for this. It is not because of us. We were all sinners doing our own thing, defying God and going our own way. But God reached out. So the faith and love that we have, it is not because we are good guys. It is because God reached out to us. And as a result, Credit definitely must go to God. So that's how he starts off, with an attitude of thanksgiving. So that's the first ingredient of our prayer. Second ingredient, prayer should include the expression of request. The expression of request. Request number one, may the sharing of your faith be effectual. May the sharing of your faith be effectual. If you notice, look at it very carefully. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. The King James says that the communication of your faith may become effectual. Now, what did Paul mean by these words, sharing of your faith or the communication of your faith? You know? Now, was he only talking about the verbal communication? Was he praying that, you know, yes, he has faith, yes, he has love, you know, now he's praying that you know, he'll be able to talk about it more. Or is he also speaking you know, more about the action part of it? To say, look here, yes, these things are there. You have faith, you have love, but there is still something that is lacking. Now, what is that which is lacking? 
once you take Onesimus back, you know, that will be an expression, true expression, visible expression, you know, to the people around of genuine faith and genuine love. Do you think that Philemon's handling of Onesimus would affect his neighbors? If we forgave him, it would definitely be. They knew what they would do if this guy was their slave, you know, you know. Now, once they heard that Philemon has forgiven Onesimus and accepted him back, you know, what would be the response from all the other masters? I'm sure they would have been surprised and say, you did this, you forgave him, you know, why in the world did you do that? You know? And this becomes an expression to the unsaved neighbors who are watching him, you know, to say, hey, this is actually sharing of your faith. Sometimes we think about sharing of our faith, you know, as only a verbal thing, you know, or we share the gospel, we speak to somebody, but no, the sharing of our faith is an outworking, an expression of what we believe, and as we see our lives changed, and then as the people are able to notice that we are living up to what we believe in, then they say, hey, this is effective. This is effective. I'm sure the non-Christian world constantly speaks about it, isn't it? They say, look here, you know, your Christ says we must love one another. Now, why are you hating this? Or they may say, look here, why are you guys going to court when the Bible says you should love one another? These are thoughts that the non-Christian world observes. Why? Because that's the expectations. And when this is seen, then our communication, our sharing of our faith becomes effectual. You know, it becomes productive. And that's what you know, Paul is really speaking about here. Now, what we have because of Christ should be shared with others. Okay? What we have because of Christ should be shared with others. Now, what do we have because of Christ? Because of Christ, we have God's forgiveness. We have God's peace. We have God's joy. We don't deserve these things, you know, but they are ours only because of what Christ did for us on the cross. He paid for our sins. He canceled our debt, you know, and what we have received then, we should be able to share it with others. Now, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, when the non-believing world sees us going through struggles, going through problems, but we still have that faith and peace with God, peace in God, that becomes an effectual sharing of our faith. But if you are going down under because of the problems, then they say, hey, look here, you know, then sometimes those guys will come and say, you know, give you a word and say, you trust in God, you believe in God, you know, you do this, you do that. That's such a sad thing. We should be the ones, you know, who should set the pace so that they're looking at our lives. You know, that is the sharing of our faith, which will become effective. <clears throat> Secondly, what we have because of Christ should produce visible evidence of Christ in our lives. There are lots of people today who claim to know Christ, you know, but their lifestyle is not really there. So that's what Paul is praying. May the sharing of your faith be effectual. Now, there's a vital connection between these two clauses. When we share our faith, when we get involved in passing to others what God has given to us, something happens. What happens? We get a fuller understanding of who God is, okay? And we have a fuller understanding of everything that we have in Christ. It's only when you go through the waters, when you go through the fire, when you go through the hard times, you recognize, hey, God is still there. As somebody has said, the stars shine brightly when, when it is very dark, isn't it? You know, the light shines brighter in the darkness. So when we go through those situations and we are still able to recognize that God is there with us, you know, that becomes a positive, visible evidence to people around us. That's what it means for the sharing of your faith. They'll be able to see that your faith is definitely real. Thirdly, we grow you know, as we participate in our common faith, participate in our common faith. When you're speaking about sharing, some other translations will speak about participation. Okay, 
So our faith becomes effective through knowing, through the full knowledge, through the full knowledge or the full application. From the knowledge here, it is primarily not head knowledge, but the experience, okay? We know that God never leaves us or forsakes us. But when we go through the hard times and we see that, we experience that in our lives, that head knowledge becomes a reality for us. So this Onesimus affair is going to stretch Philemon. There's no doubt about it, okay? This is going to be an uncomfortable situation for him and his church family. Maybe this has never happened before, a slave who has run away coming back and being accepted. It is uncharted territory for this new congregation. But Paul is praying, you know, that Philemon would be able to handle this in such a way that they'd be able to recognize, hey, this guy is a believer. There's a common faith. We are participating together in this. Fourthly, we grow as we do good things for Christ. We grow as we do good things for Christ. Remember, knowledge without action is useless. You know? The world is looking for Christ to be seen in our lives, not just be spoken about, to be seen in our lives. Faith without works is dead, isn't it? That's what James constantly writes about. Now, to truly know, in the biblical sense, is both to possess as well as to perform. To possess as well as to perform. And that's what Paul is speaking of. Yes, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your love. My desire is that now there'll be the performance and that your performance will be very, very effective. So Paul prayed that Philemon would use the knowledge to work out the implication of his faith in the matter with Onesimus. The good thing he knew to do was to forgive an erring and repentant brother who sinned before his salvation. Such a reconciliation would have far-reaching implications in the whole church. It watched this test case with great interest. If Christianity could work in such tension-filled relationships, it could work anywhere. Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, the church, and all of Christianity had much at stake in Philemon's response. And Paul prayed that Philemon would make the correct choice. Now, we are living in so many similar times today. Problems in the churches, problems with individuals who call themselves believers, and our conflicts in relationships. And at times, that can become such a bad testimony to the world around. What do we pray for? Pray that Christians who call themselves believers would rise up and make the right choices, allow God to work, allow God to change, you know, and trust God for the same. The second request that he makes is, may you grasp every good thing you have in Christ. May you grasp through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. The word that is used there for knowledge, epignosis, you know, refers to an experiential knowledge, an experiential knowledge. So what Paul is saying is, Philemon, you're a mature guy. You have a lot of resources, you know. If you were to say, you know, you're a rich guy, physically as well as spiritually. But I'm asking you that this would be, become real in your life. You would have spiritual blessing. Now, each one of us, you know, each one of us, you know, have all these resources in Christ, isn't it? In that sense, we are all spiritual billionaires because the Bible tells us we are blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. But if only we are able to grasp this truth, grasp this truth, who we are, you know, in Christ, you know, and once we are able to understand this and experience this practically, then we are able to share this faith with others. But in order to share this faith with others effectively, we must first be able to grasp this truth and appreciate fully what we really do have in Christ. Isn't that so very important? Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, put it across like this, where he said, spiritually speaking, we were born to reproduce. We were born to reproduce. But if 
we are not doing that, we are in trouble. If our faith is not being reproduced in others, if our faith is not becoming effective, the chances are that knowledge has just become a head knowledge. It has not become an experiential knowledge. So yes, as we come together for Bible studies, we need to understand who we are, what we have in Christ. But it has to move from there to the practical experience of that. So what good things in, our, in Christ do we have? Number one, in Christ we have everything we need to be right with God. We have everything that we need to be right with God. It is not Christ plus our works. It is Christ and Christ alone. So the Lord says, you know, in me you have everything. Okay. So none of us can say, look, I don't have it. No. no. We have to understand what we do have. In Christ, we have everything we need to be right with each other. If Christ's love has been shed abroad in our hearts, then none of us can say, look, I can't love this guy. He just said this, he did this to me. I don't want to have anything to do with him. Let him not come back to me. No, no. If Christ's love is shed abroad in our hearts, we have everything we need to be right with each other. So this is why, you know, Paul is writing this letter. Here were two people, two friends of his, that were separated by the sins that one had committed against the other. So Paul is sending this letter along with the offender to face the offended. You know. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because he knew, Paul knew, that these two guys, two brothers in Christ, you know, had everything that they needed in Christ to be right with each other. So, this is why in the body of believers, there should not be factions. There should not be those you know, fights and frictions. Why? Because we have everything that we need in Christ to love one another. That is why Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And if there is no love for one another, the world is looking at us and saying, you know, <laughs> what is Christianity? Third request, you know, may it lead to action. Prayer should always lead to action. Now, what kind of action that is uh, now Paul praying for over here? <laughs> now, the kind of Christ-honoring action that Paul next called Philemon to demonstrate is, first of all, Paul has affirmed that his friend demonstrated love towards others. He starts up again. Now, now he's going to bring the request. You say, look, I want you to do this. Get this guy back to you. But before that, again, he speaks about you know, what Philemon has done for Paul. So Paul affirmed that his friend demonstrated love towards others. Verse 7 says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. You know? And he's saying, I appreciate all that you have done. And all that I'm asking you is, do it again. Do it again. Don't stop doing it. That's his request, that it has to lead to action. Remember, church life is not about entertaining others. It is about serving others. You, know? you see, entertainment is usually about the host. Hospitality, on the other hand, is always about the guest. Entertainment is easily seduced by the shallow and the superficial. It is only surface deep. Hospitality is rooted in our common fellowship in Christ has authenticity and depth and significance that is truly meaningful and long-lasting. So that's what Paul is praying for. Yes, he says, you have refreshed my spirits, and you know, you're a good guy. I'm asking you, do it again. You know. Even to this guy who was your slave who ran away, I'm asking you that you will do this. Now, three things he highlights concerning how Philemon was a, a blessing. And even as he highlights this, we can also look at this and ask ourselves, and you know, do we have these qualities? Are we being a blessing to the body of believers? First of all, he says he was a source of joy. He was a source of joy. Philemon brought joy to the heart of Paul. I'm sure Paul, being in house arrest, you know, now he's at the end of his life, you know, he's wondering what's going to happen in the future. Trial awaiting. 
He looks back on his life, looks back on the individuals you know, who have come to know the Lord through the ministry that God gave him. He looks back at the churches that have been established. And when he hears these reports, you know, that brings great joy. As we grow older in our walk with God and look back you know, on individuals you know, whom the Lord saved in the early years of the ministry, and we see them continuing to grow in their walk with God, you know, being in leadership positions, sharing Christ with others, multiplying in our, in our ministries, impacting lives. That brings great joy. And that is what Paul is writing here, first of all. He says, when I hear, it brings me great joy. You know? Ask yourself, why are you a source of joy to others? When people think about you, does it bring them joy? Secondly, he was a source of encouragement. He was a source of encouragement. He says, you have been a comfort. The word that is used there for comfort is paraclesis. The word that we speak about, you know, the Holy Spirit. He says, here I am, you know, in a dreary imprisonment, you know. But in this place, a dark place, you are like a, a beam of sunshine, a beam of happiness, you know, like the sunlight streaming through. In this time of his life, he could easily have given in to disappointment and discouragement and even depression. But Paul's spirits were lifted and his heart was allowed to sing with joy because of this godly servant, Philemon. I'm sure when you have been going through tough times and you hear a word from a person who comforts, maybe just a call, maybe just a and a message that is sent, you know, at times, you know, that lifts up your spirit, isn't it? You know? That's what Philemon was to Paul. We should be sources of encouragement, not discouragement. People should be happy, you know, when they hear from us rather than saying, I don't want to hear from this person. Oftentimes, people are constantly whining and talking about all their troubles alone, you know, People don't want to spend time with that person. But, you know, when there's a word of encouragement, that is definitely an encouragement to people who are going through troubles in their own lives. <coughs> Thirdly, he was a source of refreshment, he says. A source of refreshment. The word that is used here, refreshed, you know, is a very interesting word. One that Paul strategically uses two times in this letter, in verse two, 7 as well as in verse 20. It is a verb in the perfect tense indicating that the hearts of the saints have been and are still being refreshed. In other words, it was not a you know, one-time affair. You know, every time you came into the presence of you know, Philemon, you left there from that place feeling refreshed. You know. Maybe you came in with a problem, you know. But you went back, you know, with that problem or the burden lifted away. You went back refreshed. And that was, you know, uh, Philemon's lifestyle. He refreshed people. Does your life bring refreshment to people when they come in contact with you? Do they feel, you know, sort of a burden lifted up from their uh, in lives? John MacArthur says that refreshed is a military term that speaks of an army resting from a march. Philemon brought troubled people rest and renewal. He was a peacemaker. Is your life bringing refreshment? Secondly, Paul asked his friend to demonstrate love towards one particular person. That is Onesimus. He says, you have done this for me. You have done this for others. Now I'm asking you, this is my request, a prayer for action, you know, that you would show this to one this guy, this specific guy. Onesimus. Verses 8 to 11 says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. Now he has become useful both to you and to me. There's a play on words there. Onesimus means useful. Earlier he was a runaway slave. He was useless. Now he says, yes, he's lived up to his name. He is useless, useful to me, useful to you as well. So I'm requesting you for this one guy, you know, would you show that love? 
that you have been showing to others. It's so easy to say we love humanity in general, yet it's quite another to love individual people, especially those who have hurt us. And that's the action to which Paul is praying for. He says in verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me, put it to my account. You know? And he's expressing that you know, as an example of what God has done for us. We don't deserve it, but God did it for us. He paid you know, the price for us. So he says, okay, if he owes you, if he has taken money from you, if he has taken any stuff from you and you know, some payment has to be done, I'm willing to make that payment. It's a reminder to Philemon that he has no reason why he shouldn't do that which uh, he is asking him to do. In other words, the more that we recognize what God has done for us, the more we would be able to live out that life, allowing God to do his work in us and through us. And when that happens, the world is able to see, hey, Christianity is really true. How does it all start? By praying for individuals, praying for individuals. Prayerlessness you know, gives evidence of our belief in our own self-sufficiency, but prayer gives evidence of our need for divine dependency. And the more we are praying for others, praying for ourselves, what we are really saying is, Lord, Lord, I can't handle it, but you can. And as we allow him to do it, he shows it that he can do it. And that's where the reality of that knowledge sets in. And that's where the change happens. And that's where the world notices it as well. Couple of application questions, make it personal and ask yourself the following questions. Number one, do I have real faith? Be honest, is your faith real? You've spoken about faith. Love has spoken about what we believe in our head, what we experience in our life. Is our faith real? Number two, am I sharing my faith with others? That's the outcome of real faith. If you love Christ, you can't hold him. You want to find ways to share him with others. Are you doing it both verbally as well as non-verbally? Number three, what demonstration of faith does God desire to see most? in my life today. Perhaps there's a problem person in your life. Will you love that person so that others will see Christ through you? Let's bow our heads in prayer together.